Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we have a very special guest, John Dick, CEO of Civic Science. John, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you so much. So for folks who are not familiar with Civic Science, I'd love for you to give them a little bit of background because it's a non-standard business model for the kinds of people who listen to the show and the kinds of businesses that we generally talk about. But I promise, dear listener, it's all going to make sense in a minute. <laughs> so, John, yeah, if you could give us a little background about Civic Science, that'd be fabulous. Yeah, sure thing. So I, I started the company. We're based in Pittsburgh, um, started Carnegie Mellon about 13 years ago initially, which is kind of hard to believe, but um, really sort of commercially viable for about the last 10 years. We are a survey company, uh, market intelligence company is the word we use. But uh, what we do is we gather survey data really at an unprecedented scale in a kind of clever way. Um, we've partnered with hundreds of websites who have um, you know newspapers and blogs and BuzzFeed and Microsoft News and many others who have polls and quizzes inside of their content that people answer for fun. And what we've done is we've figured out how to build and manage those in a way to allow us to ask uh, actually credible survey questions in you know millions of times a day about anything you could possibly think of. And so we, um, we've just sort of turned the survey industry a little bit on its head and we study thousands of given topics every day and we package all of that information and we sell the subscription service to large brands and media companies and investment firms who are looking for any kind of signal to predict um, consumer trends in the future in some way. Wild. Okay, your business model is closer to what would we consider normal than I thought. I didn't realize it was a subscription. Ah. So there yeah. you go. Do you do consulting on top of that, or is it really entirely subscription? Um, well, we we have like account management people um, who sort of may support a client and sort of how to interpret data that they find in our platform or how to use it. Um, but no, we're not. We don't have a consulting sort of billing or anything like that. It's all part of the. I would just say it's higher end sort of tech support would be a safer way to put it. Mm. Gotcha. And how many, just roughly, how many employees are we talking about? 55. Okay. So the, yeah, so this is a, definitely a bigger business than most of the people listening for sure. Significantly bigger uh, in terms of headcount. And I believe, I, I know from the logo wall on your <laughs> website, you have got huge customers. I remember seeing Duncan and Microsoft and Target, I think, and just a lot of big brands, some pretty um, button down kind of serious brands, you know, uh, which which is I think is is relevant because what we really want to talk about today is the mailing list that you do every week. And, you know, how did that start? So let me just give a let me tee it up a little bit, because um, the John's mailing list, it's called What We're Seeing, is one of the very few mailing lists that I read every single time. I think it's the only weekly list that I've ever stayed subscribed to. And it's just amazing. It's got, the way it works is kind of got a, a um, sort of anecdotal, personal intro story. It's usually a few paragraphs, maybe, you know, 300 words. And it's, it'll be funny, it'll be raw, it'll be honest, there'll be a lot of, lots of vulnerability. And it is just, so it's fabulous. So bravo for that. But that's my favorite part. But then the, the sort of best part for the business is that there's a second section. The second half is this these sort of charts and data research that you guys have done with these still continue to be funny little blurbs about what you think it means or how shocked you were by it and links to like full articles for research. So it really shows off the product at the same time. 
But the thing that the thing that's so great about it is that somehow it feels like it should be. It feels like someone in your position would have come up with maybe a mailing list, and it would have been super corporate and boring and dull. And yours is the complete opposite of that. So I almost want to ask, like, how do you get away with doing that? Well, let me let me first of all thank you for the kind words. Let me back up a little bit. Um, so the ethos of our business is that everything affects everything and everything is constantly changing. So we study everything constantly. And, and our platform enables us to do that. Like I said earlier, we're literally asking thousands of survey questions every day about every topic you can possibly think of from sort of how people feel about COVID to whether or not they tuck in the top sheet of their bed, <laughs> right? I mean, seeming, seemingly like frivolous things to like very serious ones. And the reason we do that is because what we find in this database technology we built at Carnegie Mellon is that we can find correlations between things that you would never expect to be correlated. And that's where real insight comes from, right? So for example, um, a person who tucks their top sheet in on their bed is 50% more likely to watch streaming video or streaming concerts on the internet, okay? You would seem to think that those two things are completely unrelated, whether I tuck in my top sheet and whether I watch concert streaming on the internet, except when you realize that the reason when we ask people, if you tuck in the top sheet of your bed, there's nothing that's more predictive of your answer to that question than your height. Taller <laughs> people are far less likely to tuck in their top sheet, right? Cause their feet <laughs> right. reach the bottom of the bed. Right. Well, taller people are three times more likely than shorter people to regularly go to in-person concerts. Why? Cause they can see. Cause they can, <laughs> they see, can see Correct. <laughs> right. So guess who watches streaming videos online? Shorter people who can't go to concerts in person. Right. Right. All, everything I just said is 100% true, right? But nobody's going to go out and pay somebody to, hey, I have this theory about sheets and streaming concerts, right? But what our business model and our platform allows us to do is just ask about all of that stuff that we could even possibly. So there are over 250,000 questions in our database. I mean, you'd, you'd struggle to write a thousand questions if you were even in a creative mindset. And so we look and we study all the interrelationships between all of these things. And so, and obviously much, most of it is much more important and and profound than, you know, top sheets and streaming concerts. So, so that's our business, right? Our, our ethos of our business is we tell somebody, you know, and traditionally, like if you're a brand marketer at a telecom company, your market research department, your marketing data, it is all very myopically focused on telecom, right? What mark, what phones are people buying? Where are they buying them? How many minutes are they using? What are they using their phones for? It's all very myopic. And what we tell people is that there are forces influencing your customer and their purchase decision that have nothing to do with telecom. You need to understand the healthcare concerns that they have. You need to understand the political issues that they care about. You need to understand the celebrities that they like and so on, because those things are all weighing in on, by the time they've decided to buy a new mobile phone, they've been influenced a million different ways by a million different things. And we're the best at telling you what those things are. And so, so I just wanted to provide that as a backdrop. So, um, about five years ago, uh, we were we assembled a, a a group of our customers together for a client advisory board. We called it, and we brought all our clients in and we asked them to present case studies to one another about different things that they used our platform for, and so on. And it was all wonderful. And at the end of the day, one of the guys from a healthcare company, this guy's name is Ivan Martinez. I'll give him full credit. He's a marketer at United Healthcare, and he said, "You know, John," he said. I don't think we realized before today how much you study industries other than ours. And they said, you know, we, you give us so much information about healthcare, but we really need to know what's going on in media and retail and so on. And he said, it would be really useful to us if maybe every you know month or so 
you wrote up a list of like interesting trends you're seeing across other categories that you could share with us just for, for us to get, um, you know, a broader view of the world. And he said, quote unquote, you know, call it what we're seeing or something like that. <laughs> so I give him, I give him full credit for it. And I give it to him credit to him every time, uh, every, every time uh, I see him since. <laughs> now, the first week I wrote it, um, it went to about 30 people. That was, you know, basically our clients and a couple people on our team. Um, I did sort of, you know, I will take credit for the, we, it goes out every Saturday morning at 6.56 a.m. Um, that was sort of like violates best practices. You're not supposed to send business emails on the weekend, but on the, on the contrary, finds out that we're competing with far less noise at 6.56 in the, in the morning. And the way we write it, I think is pretty approachable for that. So very long story short, and happy to get in. I'll, I'll, I'll get into lots of details on the mechanics because I think they're useful to understand. But um, the idea was, could we could we give enough information away for free that people found compelling such that they would be interested to see the rest of the iceberg, right? And, and make it very clear that, yes, if we're telling you these five or six or seven really powerful things that we're seeing in the world this week, imagine what we're not giving away for free. And so it became a very powerful marketing vehicle for us and sing, the single most part, powerful marketing vehicle we have. Uh, and I can spend some time on that, why, why we think it's successful that way. Um, it's grown to today. We've got a, a readership of um, somewhere between 15 to 20,000 people. But the number isn't as important as the quality. Um right. You wouldn't believe me if I told you who reads it, CEOs of pretty much every company you could think of, um, celebrities, music artists, um, powerful elected officials. It's sort of, it's really sort of spread primarily among like a high-end sort of thought leader group. Um, and that's really helped to just drive a lot of, you know, business and opportunity for us. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you grow it? Was it just word of mouth? I mean, I remember, I feel like there wasn't a sign up. I, I feel like, no. I feel like I had to email you to get on it. Yeah, it was very organic. Um, there were a few things that I kind of ideas that I wanted to ride out to see how they worked. The Saturday thing was one. It was like, let's just see, because it's really, you know, it it's really sort of counterintuitive to do it on a Saturday morning, but I wanted it to feel like the way it was, so there's very, you know, the text is very standard. What we're seeing is uncapitalized in the subject line. I wanted people to feel like I was writing to them, mm -hmm. right? Like I was, I was just an email they got from me, like one-to-one. -one. Uh, and I've heard that from a lot of people that it sort of captures that. Um, I wanted it to be the kind of thing they would want to read while drinking their coffee in the morning or laying next to their spouse in bed on their phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's sort of the vibe I was going for. Um, we also wanted to make it feel like a little exclusive, right? Like it's sort of like a, you know, you were in a speakeasy or something that you weren't, you weren't seeing us just like buying, you know, LinkedIn ads, trying to get people to sign up and pushing people to sign up and all of that. Uh, we just wanted to see what it could do organically. And so pretty much all of that has happened now in the last year or so, we've started maybe promoting it a little bit more on our social channels, um, because I do think it's gotten big enough that that sort of speakeasy feel has kind of gone away. But early, in the early days, that was it. it. People sort of felt like what we were finding was, and we can track in our, um, you know, we have our email analytics. What we were seeing is that on a given Saturday, three times more people were reading it than we sent it to, like literally, <laughs> which means like that means how many people were forwarding it on to other people. And that was it. They were like, oh, check out this great information I get that nobody else has and I'm sharing it with you. And so we, that sort of also happened somewhat organically and, and that's really how we allowed it to grow. Um, 
Yeah. And then of course our business has grown a lot too. So we have a lot more customers than we did when we started it. So we add them all as well, but it's been a, it, a, a it's shocking to me what it has turned into. It's become something of a cottage industry in the company because like I used to literally just write it on Friday afternoons, load it up and it would go out Saturday mornings or sometimes I would write it Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Now it, now, now it passes through a handful of people who edit it or at least look for typos and such and make sure the charts and links are working. Cause it's just grown to probably be a, a bigger audience and a more discriminating audience. Mm. Yeah. Well, th- well, that's a good segue into the mechanics of, of what it takes now to get it together. And I'm s- one of the things when people are thinking about starting a, a mailing list is like how much time it's going to take, you know, they're like, Oh, this is going to take so much time. You know, is this really going to pay off? Like they, they want some sort of, they're nervous, I, sh- I would say, and they would love a guarantee uh, that doesn't exist, which is like, you're going to start writing this and then, and then magic happens and then your business is better. Um, so there is like this commitment up front, which it sounds like you, you tackled in a very organic way. It was like, yeah, I'm not going to worry about like setting up forms and all of these crazy things. It's just like, shoot me an email. I'll put you on the list manually. And you were just writing it by yourself. When did it, what, what does that process look like now for at least the behind the scenes stuff? How many people are involved? You know, how many, how many person hours do you think it takes per week? It hasn't changed that much. Um, really. Um, so going back to the beginning, I, I was, I, I used, this used to be like one of my one liners to people. Cause, um, I used to say like a newsletter is a great idea until you have to do the third one. Then it's a pain in the ass. Right. Because you're <laughs> kind of committed to this cadence. Um, and so like, I was quite apprehensive initially about even doing something weekly. Cause I was like, you know, um, uh, I, you know, once you've, once you're on the, once you're on the ride, it's hard to get off. And, and I even said in the very first one I wrote, I said, I don't know how many of these I'm going to do or how often. So don't like get used to it kind of thing. And then, you know, now I've probably in five years, I've maybe have missed like 10 weekends max. Like mm-hmm. I generally miss around Christmas and like 4th of July or whatever, maybe once or twice otherwise, but, um, but, um, it was easy initially, um, cause I had lots to say and had lots of great stories to share and points of view. Like, so you mentioned sort of the prologue, as I call it, is generally around 400 words. And that's going to be either like a funny personal story or an observation about the world that isn't funny, or it could be something about business. It could be something about my kids. It could be about something stupid I did in college. Like, and generally it tries to get a point or a theme across. And then the second section is five or six like key trends that come from content we published that week. And it could be anything from like trends we're seeing in, you know, um, the auto category to, you know, um, you know, whether people like Hogwarts or like, 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 like Harry Potter or, Link or Lord of the Rings. Right. Like, so it's five or six interesting things and, and desi- designed to be a variety of things. Cause that's the ethos, right. Everything affecting everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it probably, and even today, so it's gotten harder because like I've used up most of my good stories by now, like funny stories I have from my dad or my college or whatever, like, and, and, and thing like all my best material, I worry sometimes that I've used it up. Um, now the good news is the world we live in for better or worse kind of writes its own script a bit. There's always something crazy going on that, that you can maybe have a different point of view on. I have kids who are, you know, gone through different, like they're now teenagers and my, my oldest daughter's going to college and are at least about to apply for college. And so like those things give me material, right? Those are, those are, those are like, you know, non still elements of my life that give me something to write about. And so, so, so I will say like probably, you know, in a given week, 
it's probably about two hours of work for me, two to three max. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle part, that's sort of the trends that we reference. I'm just regurgitating some work that somebody else in my company already did. And I'm putting a four sentence cliff notes together around it, right. maybe a funny one liner, right? Right. The prologue takes the most work. And yeah, some weeks I worry it. Some weeks I'm like, oh my God, it's Thursday and I have no idea, no idea what I'm going to write this week. That doesn't happen very often. Normally I'm thinking enough about it that I maybe at least have the idea by Monday or Tuesday. And then I sit down and write it Wednesday or Thursday. Um, you know, sometimes I have a couple in the can, like I may, I may just have a particularly prolific period of like ideas and I'll write them down and I'll store them away if they're timeless. And then maybe if I am in a pinch, I can pull one of those out that happens. Um, you know, now, so the first person who sees it is, um, what we call our chief brand officer. Her name is Amy. And that is, she's sort of like essentially head of marketing and PR and a couple other things, but she's the first one who sees it, um, and has always been the first one to see it. Her number one job first and foremost is to make sure that I don't say anything that's going to piss my wife off. Um, (laughs) Smart move. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once a quarter she flags something and says, you know, this will piss Tara off. So like I, she's very good at that. Um, And she knows me and and, and like, she's like my closest confidant. Right. And so she can tell me like, Hey, you kind of sound like an idiot here. or Like this is a little too whatever. Um, so, and she knows, she knows what the, generally the kind of what I'm trying to get across. So she reads it for style, I think. Um, and then one person on her team probably just scrubs it over for, to make sure the links that I put are working and that the charts aren't wonky and that there aren't any like egregious typos in it. So I, I don't think that's a particularly like onerous process for anybody that probably takes another hour or so on their side. Mm. Um, yeah. And so end to end it's, it's, uh, you, you, uh, you mentioned, earlier, like, do I like writing it? I love writing it. It's, it is absolutely one of my favorite parts of my job. And I can expound on that a bit. Um, I'm very lucky to have a, have a platform like that, right. That, you know, people seem to genuinely like it. And I get, you know, dozens, depending on the weekend, sometimes hundreds of email replies from people with like reactions and comments and their own personal stories. And, you know, sometimes people are, you know, belligerent and mad at me about something, but far more, far more often it's flattering and kind and, you know, thoughtful stories of their own. So I love that part of it. Um, it's been just immeasurably valuable for our business. I mean, the people you may have, um, we just announced a few weeks ago that we launched a new, um, new subsidiary of our business and raised a bunch of money for it with new investors. And the new investors came to me by way of reading that email. Like that's how I met them. Right. Yeah. So the people who we business partnered with in this new business. So like, you can't, you can't script something like that. Right. Yeah. It increases your luck surface area. I think when you've got you're you're in people's inbox, you know, 20,000 people's inboxes, you know, and, and there are CEOs and celebrities and so forth. It's like, things are going to happen. Great way of putting it. And it's oozing with so much personality that I imagine that anyone reading it is immediately going to like, you know, the first time you read it, you're either going to, you're either going to resonate or be repelled by (laughs) the, the style of it. You know what I mean? It's just so not corporate. It's the only way I can't think of a better way to put it. It's just so real and normal. And, um, to me, right? Like normals, I guess, relative, but to me, it's just like, yeah, it just, it feels like you're one of the dudes I went to high school with. I have to throw in the, at least this woman's perspective, I find it really emotionally compelling. So even if you're talking about, like you were talking about the Marvel characters, I don't care about that, you know, but I read it and it was interesting and I thought it was great. And so 
but other things that you talk about will hit me, but every single one has an emotional component to it. That's what I feel when I, when I'm reading it. I think that's what touches people. Well, I look, I'm an emotional person, right? I mean, I'm, I'm so it's since, you know, it's, I'm not sincere or whatever, like even saying I'm sincere sounds insincere, but, but I, I, I think like what Amy, what Amy's very good at pointing out is when I write things that don't sound like me. Right. And so, and it might not be because I'm trying to sound like someone else, but it may be just because the way that I put the words together in that particular sentence didn't like read, like it would be like, I would say it. She's very good at flagging that stuff when it happens. But, but here's why it's really important both to our business. And I think to your listeners, to any business, an insight is significantly more valuable, the more relatable you can make it. And, and I tell my team that all the time when they're, when they're, when they're helping our clients understand some data that they find in our system, that like, when we, when we talk about a trend that's going on in the market, like a big ones, like political tribalism, or, you know, the kinds of things that we know that are affecting the world. When you, when you just show somebody numbers on a page, right, it, it kind of reduces those numbers to, 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 to just that. You lose sight of the fact that the numbers that we present to people are born of people who answered questions about their lives and their fears and their interests and whatever else, right? These are actual people behind this. And we all know those kinds of people. And we are all the, we are those kinds of people. The CEOs of the 10 biggest companies in the world are human beings who probably have to go to the grocery store every once in a while. And they probably, you know, don't have, you know, they, they probably had to sleep on the couch because of a, a fight with their partner, or they've, you know, they've got kids who are, you know, too big for their britches, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. And, and they're, and at some point when you can make the insight that you're that you're uncovering relatable on that personal level, it doesn't just allow us to connect with that person as a reader, but it allows them to actually use that insight to drive a decision that they have to make. Because they're like, oh, I totally see that in my in my real life. Like that makes perfectly good sense. I trust that insight. And I think we work really hard to get that point across in the way that we write and the information that we produce is um, and so so I'm glad that comes across in the way I write because that's what I want. That's, that's how you connect people with, not with me, but with like the information that we're trying to convince them is valuable. Mm. You know, it, it reminds me of, of a quote by Brene Brown. It's something like, you know, what if stories are just data with soul? And it's mm. kind of like, that's what kind of strikes me when I see your data is that the wraparound is the story or, you know, as she would say, the soul. But that, I think that's what really appeals, at least to me when I read them. Well, I mean, that's, I love that. I'm, I'm, I may co-op that later. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I do think um, it's nice. Like, I wouldn't say that I sit down that I, I sit down every week and I think about that. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, what I, what I've just, it's very freeing. In fact, in fact, it actually, like, I think it's even almost lazy that I don't have to, that I don't sit and think about like what I'm trying to say or what I'm saying, or like what point I'm getting across. It's like, I'm just going to like start rattling off a story that I think has a point to it. And, and, you know, as you probably know, like the occasional F-bomb is dropped or the yeah. occasional self-effacing joke about my last name is in there or whatever. And like those things, like, you know, just sort of flow off the fingertips as I'm writing it. And they tend, tend to work in the story. And, you know, what I find, I don't know if you guys know who Bob Lefsetz is. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Bob, Bob and I are, are, Bob's a good friend and, and has even been something of a mentor to me over the years. But um, he told me something one time as he said, uh, the, the more he edits something, the worse it is. Right. Mm. And, yeah. and it's effectively like most of the things that he, particularly because he writes so much, like you can imagine, I mean, he does, he seldom even goes back and reads them much for even typos. Right. Yeah. Um, 
although remarkably hardly ever has any typos in his work. But but I think a lot about that is it's like, if I have to go back and rewrite a sentence 10 times, like then that probably shouldn't be a sentence that's in it, right? Because it's yeah. clearly not like, cle- clearly what I believe or feel or getting my points across, you know? And it's quite liberating when you get to that place because then you're not, then it doesn't take me six hours to write this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Makes it makes it a lot more efficient. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um but I think whatever industry your listeners are in, like mine's easy because like I'm in the consumer data industry and whatever, but like any newsletter they're doing about their business or their personal expertise or whatever passion that they have, um, the more the, the the more relatable they can make it to the reader, the, the more powerful it's going to be, right? Because by, and I, I thought you were maybe going there when you said something earlier, Jonathan, which is like, I do believe that there's some people who read it. Um, and maybe like you said, you've like, sometimes like you think I'm some guy you went to high school with or whatever. Mm. I do think there are the people who read that and they say like, I'm not exactly sure what this company does, but I want to do business with people like this. Right. Right. Like, and that may get them, that may get them to reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to just learn about what you do or like let, have a beer sometime. Right. And, and we all like the greatest software tools in the world are great, but like, we also want to be to like the people that we work with and, 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 and hopefully that comes across too. Cause I think we've benefited from that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm sure that's true. I mean, I've been, I've been on the list for years, and I kind of know. I did. I just found out today that you guys have is basically it's a subscription business model. I didn't even know that. So you, it's yeah. almost like you couldn't you couldn't be more subtle about or more soft about the sale <laughs> in the email. I don't recall ever seeing anything remotely like a call to action. It's always like you know, you'll link to the data, which of course links to your site, which maybe has some things going on there. Like, you know, click here to talk to, talk to someone, but it's, it's really, really anti, you know, uh, not anti-salesy. It's just not salesy at all. It's just real personal. You feel like you feel like you're getting at me speaking for myself. I just feel like you're getting the person I'm getting your personality. And it's like, man, like, I don't think I have any need to subscribe, but if I ever had a friend that did, you'd be the first part. Like I wouldn't even know another one to say, like a competitor. I wouldn't even know one. Right. It'd just be like, oh, you gotta, you gotta check out Civic Science. And yes, I do share the the polls at the end. There's always like uh, you know five or six hilarious poll like little questions at the end that like feed you right into the right into the machine, so to speak. It's yeah. Great. I want to come back to that. Real, let me come back to those in a second. I, for, I meant to mention those earlier, but but uh, um. I do, to be to be hundred percent clear, we do have like a very aggressive marketing organization and newsletters that are salesy as hell, right? Like those <laughs> things are those 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 are hitting inboxes every day, and we spend money to deploy them and put them on social media and all that. But my 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 Saturday email gets to be a little bit of a sacred place where that stuff doesn't happen. Um, and yeah, sometimes like people say, like, why aren't you a little bit more? Um, explicit about what you do and that you're selling a service. I'm like, cause there's lots of other places for people to get that. And I think if I started to push that too much, that would be people would start to tune it out. I think the reason we have the caliber of reader we have is because they're not getting hit over the head with a pitch every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a balance that can be struck there. That's like, you know, um, conveying a lot of value of what you do without sort of making somebody feel like they're, they're being pressured, but, 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 but back to that high caliber audience. And, and you mentioned that. So, so there's really three sections of the thing. There's the prologue, there's all this insights in the middle. And then we always have a list of like the five or six, like most popular poll questions that we ran that week. And they all are generally frivolous, right? Like what's your favorite breakfast meat or, you know, 
a Marvel character or whatever. And here's mm-hmm. the funniest thing I've learned about it. Cause we do get the analytics on who reads the email, right? Yeah. Um, pro- anybody who's doing a newsletter will likely use a newsletter, you know, email server that will give them sort of who opened it and how often and whatever, whatever I can tell you without ever naming any names, the most senior people and powerful people on that list are the ones who are most likely to answer those frivolous poll questions at the end of the newsletter. 100%. <laughs> Why do you think that is? You know, because like, well, first of all, they're people too, right? Like they're, we're all, I mean, we have this perception of like these big corporate Titans as being like, I don't know, deities or something. I don't even know or whatever worse. Maybe I don't know, but like, no, they're, they're normal people. They went to school and college and high school and they eat sausage for breakfast and they have opinions about it. And it's like, they don't really get to do frivolous stuff, right? They don't, every decision or question that they're asked in their lives is super important, like jobs and maybe even lives are at stake. Right. So like, I'm asking them a silly question about what their favorite Marvel character is. And they're like, Oh, that's interesting. Click. I like Iron Man, you know? (laughs) And, um, He's the like, best I don't know what business value we get out of that, except just learning a little bit about the human psyche, I guess, that like so many of them just find that stuff kind of fun and different. And like, it's like, it's like a little guilty pleasure they get to have on Saturday morning. Yes, for five minutes. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Timing is everything. If you sent that like Wednesday afternoon, that probably oh, right. wouldn't happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it was, it was a highlight of my month when I, I sent in the steak knives up or steak knives down in the dishwasher question. It made it on the list. I almost, it was like, it was like, oh, I, yeah. it felt like I was famous. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you though, by the way, I, I forgot to go. I meant to circle back to you on this. I got a bunch of angry emails from people telling me that steak knives are never supposed to go in the dishwasher. And that wasn't an answer. <laughs> I reject the premise of the question. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are those, you know, that one, exactly. That one was, those were fun, I guess, but I do, you know, it's, it, um, I think partly because, well, not partly, but, but the, 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 the putting myself personally out there so much. Um, well, first of all, the funny thing is, is how many people I've met that know everything about me. Like I've never met, like never met them in my life. Never didn't know their name, their face from Adam or whatever, but they know everything about my kids and like their, you know, my, where I went to college and my relationships with my dad and my mom and like all these like deep things that I sort of share in that. And it's a little strange. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I guess all you know, every literally everything. Cause I've pretty much, if I haven't shared it about myself, I will next week. Cause I'm running out of material. Right. <laughs> so that part's, that part's been pretty surreal. Um, but you know, I do see some of the worst of people sometimes too, right? Sometimes people will reply, you know, and critique like, the way I've raised my kids, for example, you want to talk about a way to get like immediately dropped from my list is like, send me an email and critique how I raised my children. Like that's, you know, so there's, I don't typically delve into politics very much such that I'm going to get that kind of like Facebook banter from people about, you know, my views on things, but like they, people will try to judge, um, you know, and it's, I don't know why they do it, but like they can just quickly unsubscribe if they think I'm some horrible parent or something, but 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 99, 99.9% of the emails I get are wonderful. Yeah, that's the important point. That's the important point. Because it does feel like, again, for people who are who would imagine, first of all, committing the, <clears throat> committing the time and energy and money to starting a, a list. And Rochelle and I both email multiple times a week. I do every single day. Um, it's it's expensive and it takes, you know, it, it takes time. And uh, so that's a that's a a fear. So people are like, Oh, I fear that. And the other thing that if they, once they get over that and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to devote the, the resources to doing this. They're like, but what are people going to say? You know, if, you know, to put something out there that is personal and funny or raw or vulnerable 
And there's this, this, it's like, you know, I think it was David Lee Roth said, you know, you stick your head up above the crowd. Eventually someone's going to throw a beer can at it. And it's like Hmm. putting, putting yourself out there and you're asking for it almost. I mean, you're not asking for it, but, but people imagine that doing something like that, um, in, and to me, that's like, that's where all the good stuff comes from is like t- doing something that feels a little risky. It's not actually risky. You're not going to eat by a lion. You know, it's not a real life or death risk, but it can feel that way. And I, I guess the point I'd like to emphasize, uh, and it, it, you know, if you do go and check out what we're seeing and you'll see what we're talking about, it's really personal. And, uh, and I, I honestly think that is, you know, that is a, the way to do it. I feel like that is the way to do it. I don't think, I don't think the world needs another, you know, uh, email by committee, you know, like the sales emails you guys send out, I'm sure are great, but they're, they're, there's no way that they have, they're oozing with personality. No, no. And they're just, they're, they're not even, they don't pretend to be that way. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I guess again, what I would try to say for your listeners is, um, it's, it is liberating to be free and open and honest, right? I mean, then look, there's obviously things I don't touch on. I don't touch on my sex life. I don't touch on like, you know, there's things like that that aren't, that are off limits, but like, um, and you know, it's, it's interesting because in my job, I can make it relevant to some other thing in the world that we're writing about. And maybe that's not the same case, depending on what, what, what your audience is, you know, writing about or, or selling or servicing or whatever. Um, but what, one thing I will say that we, we had a few years ago were approached by a publication about essentially taking it, taking that email and turning it into like syndicating, essentially syndicating it on their, in their publication. Hmm. And it was very intent. It was very tempting because they probably had, you know, 50 times the audience that we had, but what we would have lost from that is the one-to-one interaction that it created for me with people who could reply to an email. Right. right? And I think part of the benefit of making the email itself not very like overproduced and it's not, it's like in the basic email font and there aren't a bunch of like, there's some charts in it, but they're like, I cut and paste them. It doesn't look like it's not overly designed. And it just makes people feel like they're having an email exchange with me. And it has created so many great relationships for me with people like you, right? And and also like business opportunities, but also I've gotten really good feedback and great ideas like you for questions and so on. Like I'm a huge advocate of the email newsletter as a marketing vehicle over like a blog. Um, you know, blog, you can do more broadcast and it might travel a little better, but, but ultimately it's not going to create the relationship that you really want to create with your customer or your audience or whomever it is. Um, I don't think I knew that. I stumbled into it thanks to Yvonne Martinez at United Healthcare five years ago, but it was the best, one of the best thing that ever happened to our business and to me personally. Yeah, we hear the same. I, I say the same thing about my list. Rochelle, I assume the same. And I hear it all the time from people who do get over the hump and they do start doing a really honest, good list, like a real um, genuine, you know, it's like, it's like they're themselves writing an email. I, I have the same mentality about it. I want it to show up when it's, sh- when my email shows up in somebody's inbox, I want it to feel like it's, it's from your dad or your brother. It just look, looks just like one of those emails, mostly, at least at the top, <laughs> I've got links at the bottom, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's such a great thing. I've heard it over and over and over again from people who did finally start a list. They say it's like one of, one of, if not the best thing I ever did for my business, specifically mail, not blogging. Well, and I think especially it depends on your business model. Too. I mean, you can have an amazing business with a list of 100 people if you structure the business right. In your case, in some ways, the bigger the list, the better, as long as the quality is there and it ties right. back to your business model. Yeah. I mean, 
for sure. Um, and incidentally, people still unsubscribe, right? I mean, it drives me, it's mm-hmm. like, it's still a little punch in the stomach every week when I see like the four to six to eight, sometimes 12 people that unsubscribe. And I never know why, like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I didn't say, I'm not again, cause I'm not, I'm not overly political or anything like that. I'm like, what did I say that pissed this person off this week? You know? And, and so sometimes you are definitely putting yourself out there and you're going to have to, you know, accept it again. And that, and that's even if you have a newsletter that doesn't quite get as personal as mine does, you just have to accept the fact that some people don't want to communicate with you that way. And that's okay. Right. And what you'll, your list will naturally refine itself to the people who want to have that kind of interaction with you. And, you know, depending on how big your business is, it might be okay if there's only 50 of those people might be okay. If there's only a hundred, you don't might not need thousands. Um, and you're going to develop relationships with it that are worthwhile. Yeah. I I'm a huge advocate for it. Hmm. There were two two things that happened on your list. I, I'm not even going to try and guess at when it was, but there were one time I feel like you sent out, I don't know if it was an exchange we were having just one-to-one or if it was something you asked the entire list, but you were, I think you asked the list something like, um, reply and tell me what you think civic science does. Like you were, you were trying to come up with like a positioning statement for civic science. Like how, how are we perceived? And I, do you remember that? It was like, oh uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was. That was three, probably three years ago, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was maybe not quite that overt, but it was more or less like we're going through this interesting, I, I, I ruminated on how we were going through a rebranding exercise and um, you know, there's all this pressure to sort of like describe your company in five words. And I was really having a difficult time doing that. And, you know, we'd become so many things to so many different types of people that I wanted to get some feedback on it. And I got it. It was like, had this amazing like focus group of people giving me some terrible ideas, but lots of really good ones. Um, it worked, it worked really well. I haven't, I haven't done anything like that since actually where I like explicitly sought feedback on something, but I do remember that. And I do remember it being really helpful. Yeah. That's what I was wondering if it was helpful, if it was just a lot of noise. Yeah. Yeah. I think you want to be really, really careful about something like that. Cause you definitely don't want to look like you're using those people to do it. But like the one time we did do it, it worked out pretty well. Cool. And, and again, I don't know if this was public or not, on the public on the list or not, but, uh, you recently started a podcast and you were, I think, yeah, yeah, you started mentioning, I feel like there was a similar kind of thing. Maybe you didn't solicit feedback. Maybe I was just like offering unsolicited (laughs) advice, but I I remember getting to exchange about that. I'm curious how the mailing list and the podcast, if there's a, a relationship there, if they, if, if the mailing list helped the podcast or, uh, how you see the podcast. Not that that's what we're really talking about today, but I feel like there's a, a relationship. Uh, well, there is definitely a relationship. Um, it's called the dumbest guy in the room, me, not the guest. And um, uh, we just, we finished the first season of it in June. We'll start the second season in a couple of weeks. Super excited about it. Uh, I have guests, but it's less about an interview necessarily format and more about a guest who can bring a perspective on a, say a big trend in the end in the world. So I did have Mark Cuban and we talked about sort of like um, the evolution of sports among millennials and Gen Z. And, mm-hmm. and I had the CMOs of Bank of America and ally who are both women talking about the role of women and um, finances and household finances going forward, things like that. Hmm. So um, anyway, um, it, you know, the, 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 this, my email Saturday email was just a really great marketing vehicle to drive audience to that, to that podcast. And we had lots of other ways we were doing that. Of course, we worked with a production company and, and we used our own newsletter, our own promotion on social to do that. 
Um, but that newsletter was because that was the audience it was created for. Um, it wanted, I wanted to capture something of the essence of my Saturday email in that, like, it starts off with a little bit of like a personal story and, you know, we wanted to keep it very like lighthearted and PG 13 and so on. And we did that pretty well. Um, but no, the list that, that audience of our Saturday email probably comprised half of the first audience of the first podcast. It kind of grew past that. But, uh, and the other thing was, is I got people who reached out to me who were, you know, um, what I would say, you know, titans of industry or whatever that were on that list that I asked offered to be on the podcast, which so became a pretty good recruiting vehicle as well. Like, Yay. oh, that, I would, you know, yeah, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, so we also just wanted to start to test different, um, I would just say denominations or formats of our content. Like our emails have done really well. Studies that we publish, news news articles that we write all do very well. That was the first we were going to foray into podcasting. We don't do any video, but we're going to start doing some different video formats in the fall. Um, so we just wanted to see if this sort of like tone that we've invoiced that we've established would travel. And, and at least from one season of a podcast, it, it seems to have traveled pretty well. Yeah, it's good. Well done. And and starting off with Mark Cuban as your first guest is kind of like hitting home, right? It's like, you know, <laughs> set the bar high. Yeah, real high. Did you? Is that did that come from the list? Like that intro, or, or uh, just out of curiosity? No, you know, I met Mark. Mark. Um, Mark has been worked with me on this business for like six or seven years. I met Mark. I cold emailed him six years, seven years ago. And well, he's from Pittsburgh. So am I, oh, of course he's in Dallas now, but I used that as a little bit of a hook to introduce myself. And we started an email relationship and, you know, kind of became friends and he's a mentor and all that. And we do some business together. And so it was a, I wasn't, um, you know, it was a, it was a, Hey, do me a favor and be my first guest on my podcast kind of right. thing. And he was generous enough to do that. So, and we had a lot of fun. He was great. Yeah. And then most of the people that were people I've, whose, you know, paths I've crossed professionally, I wasn't like going out and hiring a booking agent to like find me people yet. How about well, eventually, eventually my Rolodex will thin out, but, but I've been lucky in my job to like interact with some pretty cool people that I know a lot of other folks want to hear from. Actually, I'm thinking your Rolodex may not wear out as long as that list keeps bringing <laughs> the right people to you. I, I think that's an eternal Rolodex. Yeah. You know, because we do see who signs up for it and who reads it as anybody would, if they have an email list, I'm very, I'm very careful not to like, uh, what's the term, like uh, break the fourth wall, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. they don't know. I know they read it. Right. <laughs> so like, I can't, Hey, I know you read my Saturday email. Would you like to be on my podcast? Like it's really tempting to try to do that sometime, but I don't, I sort of have to wait till they raise their hand in some way. Um, but so like some of them, unfortunately, a big chunk of my Rolodex is off limits for those kinds of things until somebody solicits it from me directly. But but um, yeah, I've, I think we'll get through a second season, at least with some pretty cool people. And then maybe, you know, maybe I'll make some new friends by the time we start the third season. There you go. Well, cool. I, th I hopefully hopefully I mean, the whole premise of, of inviting you on the show is to get to know you a little bit better. Um, that's that's for sure. But for the audience, I really wanted to. I think you're a fabulous example of someone who's kind of doing it, doing, doing it in a non-standard way. Not the way that, not the, I keep, I keep on, I don't know how to say this without coming across as insulting, but it's like, it's not professional. It's like, I have to be professional, you know? And it's like, you don't have to be like fake and, and buttoned down and all of that. And, and just like, John, just be super yourself and people are going to dig it. Like people are going to dig it. Not everyone's going to dig it because the same way that you wouldn't be friends with everyone, but you know, it's gonna, you're gonna click with the right people, the people who get you. And, and then you just have to trust 
that it will eventually turn into something good for your business. It will, you know, you, I can't predict exactly how it will turn into something good for your business, but I'm sure if you don't do it, none of those good things will happen. You know, it's like, it's having more relationships. It just, like I said before, it increases your luck surface area. So fabulous. Thanks so much, John, for coming on. I know you're a busy guy and we'll let you get back to your your day, but is there, where can people go to find out more about civic science and sign up for the list and see what this awesome content is that we're all talking about? Civicscience.com. Very easy. Um, or um, follow me on Twitter at JD civic science. And I think you can find, navigate your way to a link on the, um, on the, on civic science website to where our sign up for our newsletter is. I'm pretty sure at this point we've made it a little easier to find. It's way down in the footer. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's hard to find. It's way down in the footer. So look there, yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll get a little bit less uh, exclusive about that in the future. But um, no, I, I've really enjoyed this is a fun topic for me. Um, really, like I, I enjoy reflecting on it. It, it. Like I said, it's my favorite part of my job just to have the platform that it's created. And it's not just because I, I think, again, what I would just reiterate for you and your audience is like everyone has something to say, you know, Um every single person does. And it's just a matter of like finding your own voice in it and, and, and saying it to people who, who are interested in hearing it and they're out there too, you know, and, and, and they'll, you will find them with enough fortitude and and consistency of cadence, right? Like I said, I started with 40 people, then 60, then 80, and it all just sort of grew organically, which was the best way for it to grow. Uh, And so that opportunities, there's, there's nothing about me personally or my business or my, you know, my experiences in life that made me better equipped to do this than anybody listening to this is right. It just, I just took the leap and committed to it for a while and figured out, I learned a lot. Like the first, the first couple months, if you go back and read those, the format was different than it. I learned which formats worked and I experimented with formats. So I found what's in lengths even, right? Like it's always, I always try to cap it at like a thousand words max or like the 400 words in the prologue. Sometimes it leaks a little past that, mm. but I learned those things just from trial and error and iteration and, you know, and, and also sort of like which elements of my voice and my perspective that resonated the most with people. And you just have to take the leap. And, and I hope more people listening will, because it's been, professionally and personally incredibly uh, rewarding for me. Perfect. Thanks again for having me. Hey, Thank thanks for coming. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, I really appreciate All right. it. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.